0: with Ali Rizvi and Armin Navabi.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular Jihadist vs. Right Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi, and usually with me is Armin Navabi, but Armin Navabi is not here for this episode. Um, he is actually off in the Far East somewhere uh, eating uh, scorpions, which is true. I, I don't know. Did you see that video? When you haven't seen it. Uh, no. Yeah, He said, okay, so he's in, I think he's in Thailand and, and there's a, he made a whole video, a very nice quality, well-produced video of him uh, getting a scorpion, roasted scorpion or something off the streets and just eating the whole thing. He ate the entire thing. So he's wow. eating scorpions. It doesn't do much, uh, doesn't do very well for the atheist stereotype, but, uh, you know, at least he's not <laughs> eating babies. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and speaking of babies... All right. So here we go. That's a segue. Um, yeah. So we have a, we have a guest on today that I've wanted to talk to for a long time. And in a way, I, I don't want to say it's good Armin's not here. It's always good when he's here. But um, I, Armin doesn't have any children. I do. right? And the topic today that we're talking about is uh, we're going to be talking about secular parenting. And our guest today is Courtney Hurd, um, also known as Godless Mom. Many of you follow her on Instagram and on Twitter and everywhere you are. I mean, you're all over the place. Mm -hmm. um it's sort of a very unique niche that you have and I I I think it's great like you're the first person I thought of when uh we thought about doing this topic topic about uh parenting kids without God raising children without God and without religion and all of the benefits to that and the challenges and and everything that we're faced with uh so welcome to the podcast
2: thank you thanks for having me
1: really excited and uh, so first, before we start on that, I wanted to talk about how um, there's been some news with you, especially. Um, yes. You are now uh, co-executive director of Atheist Alliance International, uh, which yes. we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, it's yeah. a great group. Um, it's Atheist Alliance International, so they do a lot of work outside North America mm-hmm. as well. And yes. um, you, you recently, and, and I guess this, this goes with the whole theme of, of children, um, being raised with humanist values. But you recently wrote a, a fantastic article on Patheos, uh just, I think, early January about uh, a school in Uganda uh,
0: mm-hmm. that was
1: started by humanists. And Uganda is obviously like a very sort of Christian fundamentalist society um, yeah. where they punish homosexuality with death and all, all of these things. Um, so let's start by, first of all, just uh, talking about Atheist Alliance International, uh, what your role is there, and and maybe uh, on the school as well.
2: Okay, well, at Atheist Alliance International, basically me and Bridget, who is my co-executive director, we are trying to just build up more of the programs that they already have in place, which is so many. Like, when I, I started at Atheist Alliance International as their webmaster. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Um, yeah but they they soon realized that I had, like um, marketing that you know I had a lot more skills to offer than just uh-huh. web design and stuff like that so um but in doing that, like I got to scour through their website and everything like that, and I realized how much they're actually doing, and I mean, I've been in this community for like so long now, I think it's close to six years, and I didn't know half of this stuff. And I'm like, we have to get this out there, right? Like, because these are huge initiatives that you're, you're taking on. And these are, are things that are going to have a real positive impact on people's lives. And, um, and one of those things is this school in Uganda, which is the um, Kasisi Humanist School. And it was started in 2011 with funding and volunteers from Atheist Alliance International, like they facilitated the the starting of this school. It um, it was started by a man named Robert, and I cannot pronounce his last name. I
1: think <laughs> or it's it Muambale or something like that.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, and was... he is dedicated to these kids. And in the since two thousand and eleven, he's had he's expanded into three different campuses. He boards a lot of the students because they are orphaned by HIV as a result of very backwards religious thinking, right? Because in Uganda, HIV medication is considered contraband and people get arrested with possession of HIV medication. Yeah, and, wow. um And they get arrested for um, being in possession of
1: condoms.
2: And so... So it's huge. It's so, huge. So wait, what this condoms guy is doing. are
1: condoms are not allowed there. As in, there's a restriction on condoms in yes. the country.
2: Yes. Sixteen people last year. Sixteen people last wow. year were arrested for being in possession of either um, birth control products or HIV uh, medications. Yeah. So.
1: that. Yeah, that, that, only, that mm-hmm, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> not only are they not allowed to prevent contracting the disease, but they can't even treat themselves once they do contract it. And so a lot of these kids are orphaned because their parents just die. And, and it's really sad. And this guy, Robert is just housing them. And he like he's so dedicated. If you look at his Facebook feed, it's amazing. They're building a brand new classroom right now called the Nelson Mandela classroom. And, mm-hmm. and it's just an amazing school and they teach humanist values, which is really important.
1: Yeah, we're gonna put a, a link to uh, that, uh, the article that you wrote uh, in, the, in the description of this. But I, uh, the, what's really insane to me about this is I, I remember when I think it was Pope John Paul II or Benedict or, or maybe both of them that would go to Africa and they would do these tours in a place where the, the, the prevalence of HIV is sometimes up to one in four people are infected with HIV. And they would talk about how you shouldn't use condoms. And yeah. to me, you know, when people talk about how, well, you know, Catholicism cannot be as harmful as, you know, just when we see overt jihadism, we see the dead bodies and everything. It's very overt to us. But, but when these guys, when they go and they do this, um, you don't see it as obviously, but yeah. it's criminal. It's actually murderous to go there and uh, in, in places and in societies where the rates of HIV are so high. Uh, to preach against condoms, right? especially from an authority a, authority like the Pope, so I, I actually didn't know. I I knew that Uganda was crazy, yeah. like in terms of just very religious fundamentalist, you know, right up to the government level. Uh, but I I didn't know they actually had a restriction on condoms.
2: Yeah, never even
1: heard of that. So
2: they have yeah. um, the. Have you seen that documentary? God loves Uganda. No, I haven't. It's totally worth checking out. it's actually like a lot of um, a lot of these ideas and stuff are coming from like like you said like people like the Pope, but it's like um, preachers and pastors that are on mission trips from Canada from the u s and from the u k who are coming over and pushing the ideas that don't fly here anymore um, yeah. on on these people because they're they live under the poverty line and they don't have the the education, um, accessible to them. So they, they, you know, they believe these things and they think that these preachers are going to be the solution to their problems. And it's, it's just really sad, but you know what, it, it's reading about all of this said that it's 99% religious in Uganda, but a lot of the, um, projects that we've been considering working on are in Uganda by different humanist and atheist groups. And I think there's a lot more non-religious people in there than than maybe are reporting to census.
1: Well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like that. We we see that all the time. And Arben and I, and we've talked about it a lot of times, uh, in mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, people think that this, it's a super, super religious conservative society, which it is. Uh, yeah. But... I mean uh, polls from actually several years ago, so there's every reason to believe it's increased now have have shown that uh, you know up to over there are over a million atheists in Saudi Arabia uh, right now, and we've had several of them on the show you yeah. know they've come here, they've run out of there, they've gotten out of there, and've they, and uh, we've interviewed them so it, it, this is the thing when you have just this overt sort of religious oppression in these societies it, It's also interesting to me that because you know we talk a lot about this, we talk about whether You know, this Christianity, whether the secular society in the West is uh, somehow, whether it was Christianity that facilitated it, a lot of people like to give credit to Christianity for the secularism and the Enlightenment values. But um, I think that what secularism is a completely separate thing that kept Christianity in check, because when it's not in check, you see what you're talking about in Uganda, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So, yeah. Con- congratulations on the appointment. Congratulations on the great work. I think that um, it's a fantastic organization. So, um, yeah, I'm really to, excited. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, even though the topic right now is going to be different, we'd love to have you back on. But when Armin's here, I know he's going to be interested in this to talk about the the work that you guys are doing with AI as well. So yeah, anyway, sure. um, so yeah, moving on to uh, the topic of this podcast, which is uh, raising children without God, raising children without religion. Um, so how did you get into this? Can, can you just give a little bit of your background? Uh, did you grow up religious or, uh, you know, how did you get into um, the secular parenting topic and start writing about it and so on?
2: Um, well, no, I didn't grow up religious. Um, I am possibly fourth generation atheist. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> third generation, but I'm not quite sure about my great grandfather. But um, no, I come from just a group of heathens. And um, I, growing up, I had really no understanding of the larger cultural context of the world, like where other people were growing up super religious. I knew religious people, but not very religious. Like here, I'm sure it's the same in Toronto, but growing up in Vancouver, nobody talked about it.
0: It just yeah. was
2: a non-thing, right? And um it just never came up. And I didn't even really understand some of these concepts until I was like a teenager. I didn't really understand what church was. I remember getting in trouble at Brownies for asking who God was. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't understand these things. My parents at home, the only time they ever really talked about this stuff was when they were cracking jokes about it. <laughs>
1: so... <laughs> Oh, my God. That's a world I want to see. <laughs>
2: so, yeah. So we, we, I just didn't really get it. And then growing up, I started to understand. And my parents took us traveling, me and my brother traveling around the world a few times. And I've been to Thailand a few times. I did not eat a scorpion, though. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, most, pe- most people don't. I Just want to say that. I mean, Ar- Armin, <laughs> I'm sorry, but most people don't do this. Yeah. But kudos to you. go ahead
2: Uh, that's when i started to realize that like you know religion was a very serious thing to a lot of people and so i started to like develop strong opinions about it and i you know the internet came along and i started going on reddit a lot and that was back when the atheism subreddit was one of the default ones that you would be subscribed to automatically which was awesome (laughs) Um, and I just remember like seeing all the posts come through my feed on Reddit and I would be like, I totally agree with that. And like, it would just get my mind going. And I was like, oh, I have so much to say about that. And so I started my blog and I just called it Godless Mom because I was a mom and godless. Um, So it wasn't really focused on secular parenting when I first started it. When I first started, I just wanted to have fun, and if you read some of my early posts, I would probably get canceled for them now. But
1: (laughs) um, we'd all be canceled for everything, (laughs) pretty much now. Yeah.
2: But yeah, so it was just about being funny and having a laugh. But in that time, well, one of the first things that happened was Mubarak Bala contacted me when he was in the hospital in Nigeria. And we launched that campaign to get him out of the hospital. And um, mm-hmm.
1: and for those it, who aren't familiar with it, uh, can you explain who Mubarak Bala is?
2: Yeah, he's yeah. a Nigerian. He was in the north of Nigeria, Boko Haram territory. And um, his dad was actually, he had connections to Boko Haram. And they when he came out as an atheist against everybody's advice, <laughs> because he talked to us about it a lot. We're like, don't do it, dude. <laughs> and But he did. And his dad, um, his dad reacted poorly. And he was beaten oh. and drugged and then committed to a psychiatric hospital where his mother slipped him a cell phone, and that's how he got in touch with us. And um, this was my first time anybody reached out to me for this sort of a issue, you know, where they needed help because they're an atheist. And so I just jumped on it and we put together a team and we launched the campaign and we got him on like the BBC and all the big names and news and stuff like that. And eventually he got out of the hospital and now he is a very active humanist activist in, um, in the south of Nigeria, which is more Christian than Muslim. Um, So yeah, that's, that's what happened with him. But since, since that happened with Mubarak, it's weekly that I get emails from people saying help, you know, like, and they're from like anonymous email addresses. You can't even like try to track them down or anything like that. And I've had so many of them disappear on me. And so realizing that I started to take the, the blogging more seriously. And that's when it, it turned into activism. And, mm-hmm. and I started to write about secular parenting because I believe that, um, you know, it starts with kids.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so that's interesting. So what was it like, uh, you know, you're being raised in a very, very atheist family as it is, and you're not exposed to these things, and then you, you get older, and then you see that uh, because of these, you know, because of religion and religious belief, you know, you have this guy in Nigeria who's on, he's being beaten, you know, they are people under threat for their lives. Um, so, I, because I I think that, you know, a lot of people who've been raised like this often take it for granted. They're like, well, you know, it's yeah. not such a big deal. And people are religious, okay, let, you know, I was raised without it, everything's fine. Uh, is And is that what made you take it seriously when you uh, came, when you saw situations like Mubarak or... Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely, yeah. because I, I literally had no idea. And I I would say I'm about ninety five percent done writing my book, um, which which talks about that in the beginning, about how I had no idea that people suffered like like this. I thought it was a thing of the past. Like I thought the last time that people suffered because of religion was was the Salem witch trials, right? Yeah. Like like I was dumb. I, I I was very ignorant to all of this stuff and it was so new to me and it's still shocking. Like so many of the people that I work with now at Atheist Alliance International are, they are hardcore activists because of what has happened to them in their lives. And I've started to get to know like their stories and uh, like so many of them have just been like disowned by their families and stuff like that. And it's just, I did not know. I honestly did not know that that happened. And that's, that's why I have, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited that I'm get to work with AAI now is because I've been writing for a long time about how I just, I wish that there was some way that I could do something about this, like beyond blogging on Papio's, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah so, I had, so yeah. yeah. So, um, bring up, so how, how many kids do you have? two you have two right and and their ages are like probably a little older now Uh
2: 11 and my daughter is 17 she's my stepdaughter so I kind of got grandfathered into that and and I I love her she's awesome
1: (laughs) so so let's start with so here's the thing you know one of the reasons that I think your insights would be so useful uh, on this show is that um I, I, I now hear from you know, a lot of ex-Muslims, people who you know, left Islam, and they're raising their kids, and they want to raise their kids without religion, but they don't really have uh, a reference point in the sense that their parents raised them with religion. A lot of, I've, I've actually met people who are secular, fully they're ex-Muslim, but they wonder if their kids might turn out differently or something will go wrong if, because they, they just don't have a, uh, you know, a, a frame of reference for, for how, how to do that. Um, yeah. Raise without, and and the biggest problem is that you know people say if you don't raise your kids without God, then uh, they they won't be moral. They're never going to learn. Like, what incentive will they have to do the good thing? I, again, this is not my view. You am just mm-hmm. telling you about a common uh, question uh, that you hear from people. That yeah, yeah Are they? How are we going to make them good? What incentive are they going to have to do good things and not do bad things if
0: mm-hmm. they don't have
1: this sort of the God police? Love them, and so you—you you have the advantage of, of being raised um, godless, and also you know you're parenting your children the same way. Um, so why aren't you a criminal who's going around <laughs> and murdering and and raping people?
2: Um, I had great role models. My dad, um, he—I'm very like I followed my dad's footsteps in that he worked for a lot of nonprofits and I I worked for nonprofits even before I started blogging, um, as Godless mom, I, I worked for addiction recovery stuff and stuff like that. But, um, he started a lot of nonprofits in, um, he started the crisis center in Richmond, BC, which is where the airport for Vancouver is. Um, and it's still around today, which has saved thousands of lives. He, worked with sex workers. I remember being a kid and my dad would be like paged and he'd have to go out to the Vancouver East side to help somebody on the street, um, like three o'clock in the morning. And this is, this, this is the example that he set for me. And my mom was similar. She was a teacher and she taught in a very different way than most teachers do and she had like a couple of write-ups written about her in the local well not in local the vancouver sun
1: yeah yeah. the sun
2: of the province and um, and then of course it was also the traveling as well and just seeing how my parents just connected with other parts of the world and and seeing, I, I remember one of the things that really, like, it was a turning point in my life was when I was in Bangkok, I was 15 years old, and my parents took me to Patpong, which is the red light district, Yeah, because there was a night market there, right? Like, they're, they're just interested uh-huh. in the night market. But, you know, I saw girls who were younger than me working the streets there, and I just Like, it's just so vivid in my, in my mind, it changed everything. So I am not a criminal, A, because my parents (laughs) set a really, really great example, but also because they just knew how to instill values. Like, you don't need to refer to God to, to say you know, this is good or that's bad. You, you just have to be able to look at another person and see how they're feeling and judge how they're feeling. And that's what my parents taught me was empathy and empathy yeah, and considering how other people are affected by your actions.
1: Yeah. I, I first started thinking about this, I think when I was in, uh, Uh, I was in eighth grade. I I was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I went to an American school there, and there were people from all kinds of different countries. And I remember there was a Swedish kid who used to sit in front of me in in our history class. And uh, I was was talking to him, and then I just started talking about praying or something. And he's like, oh, I don't pray. Like, why? You know, you don't pray to God? He's like, no, I don't believe in God. And, And that's the first time I'd heard anybody say they don't believe in God. And yeah, uh, yeah, and especially going up in Saudi Arabia, I'm sure there were other people who didn't, but I had never actually heard somebody say that to me. And I wrote wrote about this in my book. It was the first atheist I met. I think we were both like 11 or something or 12. And he goes, "Um," I said, well, you know, if you don't believe in God, you don't pray, you don't do anything. He's like, no. Like then the first thing I asked him was like, why do you do good things then? And Why don't you do? And he just looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, because Mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I was like, "Why can't you just go and steal stuff?" I was like, "Because uh, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that." And I was completely flabbergasted. I didn't understand, you know, yeah. why that was the case. Because you know, the thing is, all of my the reason that I didn't steal and I didn't do those things was also because it was inherent in me. But I had yeah. thought it was because of religion. And then I started thinking about it. I would think about it often later on. You know, we would. You know, I'd, I'd have some, I'd, I'd order too much at a restaurant, you know, take some leftover food home. On the way, see a homeless guy. This is not in Saudi Arabia. There's not really a lot of homeless people in Saudi Arabia. But and then, um, and I'd, you know, I'd see that they're hungry. I could see that they're very skinny. I could see their ribs sticking out and I could hear their stomach growling and, and they'd look at me and I'd just give them leftover food.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I would think, I'm like, am I doing that? Why did I do that? It was did I do it because um, I wanted to go to heaven? Like, wasn't even on my mind. Did I do it because yeah. I didn't want to go to hell? Wasn't even on my mind. I didn't do it out of fear. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I did it because I know what I feel like when my stomach's growling, right? I know mm-hmm. what it would feel like if I was skinny and I didn't have anything. If I was living on the street, and I was putting myself in his shoes,
0: mm-hmm. and it was
1: because because of empathy, and and that's where. Yeah the morality comes so i think that those experiences are accessible to most people if, if you uh, point it out to them um, yeah so well, that's
2: what that's what i do with my son is is you know like um if he if let's say he's not sharing something with a friend or something like that i, I always ask him how do you think that makes your friend feel you know like i get him right. thinking about that even though i know that in there already he is it's just getting those words out and and having his understanding of those feelings that he's has has inside having him understand them like outwardly in verbally it helps it sink in like I'm not going to do that next time and he's both my kids are amazing at uh, they're, mm. they're just incredibly compassionate people and 'm I'm, I'm not really worried about their morality growing up, maybe yeah. a little bit their laziness, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> like my uh my daughter who <coughs> she has absolutely no idea but I mean even i mean she's she's three years old, but by the time I was three, I already knew we had been taught that you know there's one Allah and we we should learn it on our fingers there's one Allah and then there's all of that so the messenger and and so we kind of learned these things that God wants you to do good and don't do this otherwise God will punish you and so but with her I've I've noticed she she is already she has a lot of compassion like she sees somebody else who's in trouble uh, she goes and she helps them her idea of sharing isn't very developed yet because her you know she'll say oh you know my cousin isn't sharing with me which essentially means she's not giving me the thing that I want to play with so a little bit of a warped sense of sharing. But um, <laughs> but overall, I, I can see it already. I mean, it's just inherent. There's this idea that she doesn't want to, you know, if she sees that I'm stressed out about something, she'll come and give me a hug. I mean, there's a kind of, it's already there. And it's interesting because I, I didn't, we haven't even mentioned anything to her. You know, we don't We don't plan to. Um, but wh- what do you think about actually uh, making children aware of like, you know, how you said that you were ignorant about a lot of things when you're growing up. So maybe, I I mean, as in not telling them that this is truth, but telling them that there are people who believe these things and exposing Mm -hmm. them to the idea of there's some people who believe in God and some people believe in certain religions. Um, have you done anything like that with your children? And, And if so, how?
2: Yep. Um, because of my blog, it comes up quite often. Um, I like right now, you know, they know why I'm up here doing this. Right. And and so, yeah, we talk about it a lot and I I think personally that explaining religion to kids is important because it it's so impactful in the world today. It's relevant. Mm-hmm. Um it may not be relevant in our town and in their lives right now, but in the greater global community it is totally relevant right now and so i think definitely it they gain from learning about it um i you know my parents did tell me that stuff when i was younger they would say you know because I, I remember like going to my cousin's baptism and stuff like that and and my parents would say people believe in a god but i still didn't understand right like i didn't right, yeah it's so when you're not raised with it it is so weird like it is it's like coming up and telling you that you need to talk to your pants every day you know like it's just insane (laughs) to you when people are explaining this stuff it's so weird if you're not raised with it and or surrounded by it you know it's so weird and and i just didn't understand my parents they didn't talk about it a lot but they you know when this came up they would explain you know people go to church and they talk to God but <laughs> you understand what church and God means and how do you explain God to somebody who's who doesn't get it it's it's just I didn't understand and I think that my my son is is similar like I I have conversations with him on a regular basis, because I will talk to him about some of the issues that we work on at Atheist Alliance International. I'll talk to him about all kinds of stuff. And I, it often comes up that religion has something to do with it. And I can see in his face that he just, like, it's not registering yeah. what this actually is. And I don't know how to explain it to them outside of taking them to church which i'm not gonna do but um yeah it's just i think it's important to teach kids for sure
1: yeah i mean this because there's so much art related to it there's so many so much literally we're surrounded by it right if they read any kind of history book if they if they go into an art museum it's 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 all there Uh, but there's also another question i mean aside from all of that um You know, we we talked about the instilling of morality, where morality comes from. Um, But uh, what about just the idea of where did we come from? Why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Now, have you you had those discussions with your children? And when they talk to you about it, have you ever noticed that they feel, because, you know, it is a very tempting thing to have a nice packaged, prepackaged answer for it. Uh, yeah, that can seem like it's a wisdom of the ages, and everybody's believed this, so it it can be compelling. And they the religious community for sure puts a lot of effort in in getting that point out there. So, yeah. as yeah, I guess as, as they get older, uh, do they ask you these questions, and and how do you handle that? Um,
2: well, we've talked about this a lot with my son. I my stepdaughter didn't always live with us, so we've only had her the last like four years, but she's just smart on her own like <laughs> without <laughs> our influence she's amazingly intelligent but um my son we like we watch, we used to watch cosmos with him on netflix it was like there you go we yeah. we'd come downstairs and he'd be watching it on his own and he's very into like just learning and and exploring things to know about and like, we'll catch him on YouTube. We'll walk by the computer and he's watching this channel called Oversimplified, which I guess they explain stories from history and stuff like that. Like, he's just a nerd. He's like his mom. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he, yeah, these conversations come up a lot. And, like, he'll ask the strangest questions. He asked one last night. I can't remember what it is. But it gets us into these conversations. And, oh, he asked. He He asked he basically asked, what do you what do you think that it's possible that that we're like in a game? Like he basically was asking about like the simulation. Simulation. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And and we have these conversations all the time. And I always I tell him, you know what, you believe what you want to believe. And as long as I teach him how to question everything, and he doesn't he's very good at it. He doesn't believe in it in like the ghost stories that his friends tell him and stuff like that. He doesn't... Oh. Buy it ...for a second. He's very funny about it too. Like he'll be like, <laughs> he'll, he'll crack jokes <laughs> about it. and um, And he's, he's been like that since like he was five or six. He doesn't yeah. believe in any of that stuff. <laughs> I remember yeah. when I was a kid I used to be afraid of witches <laughs> and because I guess the Wizard of Oz really scared me. Um, yeah. And I was afraid of ghosts and all of these things. And he just is not at all because he doesn't believe that they're real. Like not 1%, nothing. And uh, yeah, so we have these conversations with him a lot and we get pretty philosophical and it's fun. It's really cool watching the brain Develop and grow, and seeing where yeah. what he's thinking
1: about. No, I mean, a lot of that. I, I, I uh, yeah, I mean this sincerely. I, I think a lot of that credit goes to you because there are many, uh, there are many things out there that are difficult to resist, right? I mean, there's a few things that I can mention. Um, think of it is sometimes there are kids, even that this includes kids who are raised in a secular way, if they feel alienated, if they don't feel connected. Uh, to their peers or they don't feel like they belong in any group, then uh, they can be susceptible to, you know, radicalization. They can, and by radicalization, I mean, you know, if there's anybody who comes in and offers them a sense of meaning in life, I mean, this is how missionaries work as well, right? And in yeah. and, and, and the Muslim community, the dawah people, you know, they come out and they, uh, they invite you to the faith. And uh, there are a lot of people raised uh, secular who, who become susceptible to these things because they have other problems going on in their lives and, and we've had guests on this on this podcast as well who've talked about that experience you know raised by relatively moderate to liberal you know even secular parents but you know they kind of went in this direction because they were looking for a sense of belonging a sense of identity uh, whatever the void was so um, and those things are all around I and mean, most recently I actually saw it with Jordan Peterson you know Jordan Peterson is uh, yeah, he's really more like uh feels more like the guys running a church in a sense <laughs> yeah. you know and um a, a lot of i i would come across as his uh, his fans a lot of his followers would whenever i've done talks you know they, there's always one or two with their questions you know yeah. and uh, they would uh ask about these things they'd ask about what about meaning you know what does your life mean and and many of these people were you know they were into the whole atheist movement and then they saw Jordan Peterson, they kind of went there and they started looking for that. Um, so have you ever experienced anything like that? Or, or if something, when I say the credit goes to you, what I mean is that I, I think that you're kind of keeping your kids grounded. You know that they know they have a mom they can come speak to. Not a lot of kids have that. Um, so I guess, yeah, I I don't have a totally clear question, but in case something like that happened um and uh, your your son was asking you questions about you know mm-hmm. there's, there's this church there's someone talk to me and you know i'm beginning to think that you know there's, there's a sense of meaning or purpose uh here in this community or that community and then uh, how, how would you have you ever thought about how you handle something like that
2: yeah yeah i get asked that all the time by religious people online what would you do if your kid went to church or something like that and I mean, I have zero problem with them doing that. I I don't mm-hmm. have a problem with religious people. I don't have a problem with them as long as it's personal to them and they're not trying to affect other people's lives with their beliefs. You believe what you want. I don't care. And it's the same with my kids. I've told them that a million times. I said, if you want to believe this stuff, you can believe this stuff. And I every single time I talk about my work and what I do with uh, – godless mom and everything like that I tell them this is what mommy believes you can believe whatever you want and but the thing is is that I also know that the way that I've raised them is kind of like a vaccine against dogmatic thinking because I've put like I've I've taught at least my son I've taught and my stepdaughter has a mother who also values critical thought as well so she's been raised with that as well so um but my I've taught my son you know to value critical thought and to not just believe what people say and so I don't think he'll ever fall for anything like that like he sees through stuff like that even I
1: don't <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> and yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I... I'm not super worried about that, but if...
1: Go ahead. No, no, finish what you're saying. Go
2: ahead. If if he did, if he did decide that he wanted to go to church and check it out or whatever, I would tell him, you know, go. And maybe I'd even go with him just to know what's being said and what he's being taught so that I can counter it, you know? and Or maybe just ask questions like the Socratic method, you know? Um, But I'm not super worried about that, especially where we live. Just not a whole lot of religious people.
1: Yeah, I I think that, um, you know, when you talked about critical thinking, I think Mm -hmm. that is the inoculation. Because, I mean, you can, uh, if you use the whole charity example, you know, know, there's a lot of religious people. They always talk about charity all the time. If you're talking about, um, you know, morality and doing the good thing, bad thing. I mean, there's, you know, they, they can claim that as well. But when it comes to critical thinking and uh, just really questioning everything and skepticism, I think that skill, if if they have that early on, that is, I think, the one thing that would really inoculate them. Because, um, and I I actually, because right now there's a lot of questions about identity, belonging, you know, where do I belong, where do I do, what is my community? Um, You know, people are exploring that a lot more now in ways that they couldn't before because a lot of these different identities were, you know, they were taboo. Yeah. Um, There there was, it was very restricted how, how you could define yourself. You know, if you're born male, or if you're born like a certain skin color, if you're born, whatever it was that sort of predefined you. And there wasn't a lot of latitude in terms of, you know, how far you could try and reach beyond it. But, but now it's actually fairly accepted and encouraged. Mm
2: -hmm. So there's
1: a lot of uh, exploration of that going on, but, um, I think that uh, if there is critical thinking, as you're saying, you know, if you if you teach your kids critical thought and how to question things right from the beginning, I think that that makes a massive difference. And I I get asked the same thing. My my own sort of extended family members and friends, they say, well, what would you do if your daughter grew up and she wanted to wear the hijab or the burqa? And uh, my answer to that is, okay, go for it. Like I, yeah. i'm not I'm not gonna lie to her, and I'm not gonna say that you know I think that this is right if she asks me what I think about it, I'll tell her what I think about it yeah uh, but i, I mean i i I went through phases the the reason I am the way that I am now the reason I think the way I do right now is because uh when i was my parents are both sort of they were liberally religious Muslims, but they always like you know whatever kind of Experimentation I was doing and trying to explore and try out different things. I remember I wanted to be Buddhist for a little while and then I, you know, I, I became super religious, uh, like Muslim, Islamic religious. And um, they just kind of rolled their eyes, like, okay, let's see, let's see how this goes. You
2: know? Yeah.
1: Um, and I, I feel like you you have to let them do that to find their own way.
2: Yeah. It's the same know? with anything with kids. Like, ugh you know, there's a lot of things that we've struggled with our kids with, you know, my son and vegetables, for instance, and you just sometimes have to let them fall or go in a wrong direction in order to learn the right direction. It's, it's, I think that parents who try to direct everything that their kids are doing and try to keep them on the path of vision and vision for them, it's, you you end up with kids who don't have a grasp of reality, basically. They don't have a grasp of the real world and the fact that they are not the center of it and that they need to adapt to the world as much as people should be respecting you. You should be respecting the world too. And, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's, I think that critical thought is extremely important, but just as important is building up their own personal self worth because I think sometimes the thing that draws people into these groups, these these cult like groups or these religions, is just not feeling whole and not feeling like they're fulfilled, right? And mm-hmm. like I had I've raised my son to I honestly I didn't know it would work, but it did. <laughs> um <laughs> by just telling him that no matter what I love him, no matter what I'm on his side. I've told him that you know, if he ends up in prison at some point, I will go visit him. It doesn't matter what it's for. You know, like, it's just, I am there for you. Same thing for my stepdaughter, too. And and I have told him that it's because he's he's valued and he's worth it and all the stuff. And so he feels that. And now, like, he gets, he's short, like his mom, and he gets made fun of for it. And he comes home and he tells me, he's like, the kids are making fun of me. You know, because I'm short, and I'm like, "Oh, is that bothering you? How do you feel about that?" And he's like, "I love it." <laughs> he, he loves being short, apparently. <laughs> and then I I found out one day that his friends were calling him JoJo Siwa because his his name is Joey, and they were calling him JoJo Siwa, the little child singer with the pigtails and the oh, bows I, in her I don't
1: hair. I don't even know. But I'm sure I'm gonna get my share of this stuff and I'll learn all about this. Yeah. In the years yeah, to come. they were
2: calling him that and he he ran with it and he turned it into a screen name on Minecraft. So he's just oh, really? he doesn't he's unshakable. He's completely unshakable. And it's actually pretty scary because he's literally not afraid of anything. And I think that he's gonna be like one of those adrenaline junkies or something, but mm-hmm. um I think that that self-worth is just as important as critical thought because when you know who you are and you you're okay with who you are and you know that you have a support system you're less likely to fall for those ideas that that offer you those things right because you already have it
1: right Uh, and uh, so the thing with so what this is one thing that we hear a lot about, you know, they first it was millennials, now it's Generation Z. It's pretty much what every older generation said about the younger generation is that they they're entitled, you know, they have too much self-esteem, it's undeserved. And um is uh do you see any of that? I mean, not with your own kids necessarily, but do you see uh that as an issue? Um and you know, so I I mean I understand he's unshakable and everything, but you know what happens at at some point if you know. Uh, so then I wish this never does, but this is just as as a question: if something happens and 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 he is shaken because of something, um, mm-hmm. how 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 would you prepare some prepare him for that? And this is I'm asking this as a parent because I feel scared of that sometimes. I wonder because yeah. when you think about it with your own kid, it's so heartbreaking. But at the same time, you know, you're you're like, well, if I if I shelter them, then I'm not empowering them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, if I empower them, then it's scary too. Like, you know, you you're sending them out. And you don't want you, you want to protect them, but you don't mm-hmm. want to protect them to the extent that they uh, never uh, are. They're never in sort of any kind of vulnerable situation. I like guess yeah. you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I I fully fully agree with free range parenting, and that's how. We parent our kids like the whole summer I didn't see my stepdaughter because she was out the whole time. you know, like we uh, we just trust her. We just trust that she's gonna make the right decisions for her, and until she starts making weird decisions, we will just trust her and yeah. so far it's it's worked and and it's the same with with joey i he's you know he's allowed to ride around town anytime he wants he He saved up seven hundred dollars over the summer to buy himself a Kona mountain bike. And uh, oh, nice. yeah, so he he rides around by himself when a lot of his friends, even though they're 11, they're still not allowed to, which is really weird to me. Um, and we, you know, he's watched Walking Dead with us and documentaries that are jarring and stuff like that. So we're we're we don't, we don't shelter him in any way. And we let him see reality and understand reality and we talk to him about the difficult stuff and we don't avoid it um and I think that that's, that helps him because that's what helped me growing up when before I went traveling I was a ditzy <laughs> Canadian <laughs> teenager and all I cared about was who I had a crush on and then I went to Bangkok and my whole world changed, right? Oh
1: my God. I, I'm still like that, I think. But
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, another um, question is that, and then this is also something a lot of people think about. I have so much stuff to ask you. I'm going to be mindful of your time. But, okay. uh, you know, so, you know, the, you said that, you know, when you're raised in my household, it's going to be the same thing. My daughter's going to be exposed to a lot of us, you know, joking about religion, the way that your parents talked about religion. You said that your father, every time they brought it up, it was usually, you know, mocking or making fun of some aspect of it. And, and really just the best humor is in religion. I mean, there's, uh, there's nothing funnier than oh, whole... yeah.
2: Pope jokes. That was my yeah. dad,
1: Pope jokes all the time. Pope jokes. Yeah, a whole bunch of adults who believe that, you know, a man flew up on a, a flying horse and met Moses <laughs> and above the clouds. I mean, it's just, it, it's completely crazy. So, you know, we, yeah. um, and it's, it's funny, and it's even funnier that, that people believe it. So, so these kids, uh, you know, uh, I'd say, you know, my kids growing up in this environment, we obviously have a lot of extended family that's religious. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, your kids in school uh, they're probably exposed to other kids they may have friends who are also religious or come from religious families. How do you separate uh, the the lightness or the or the joking and everything that we do about religion uh, at home that they're exposed to uh, with you know maybe a friend at school who they really like and have a good relationship with, but you know he's from a family where they take this stuff very seriously so um is the line always clear that okay, yeah, we joke about this stuff at home, but this person who seriously believes in it, we shouldn't treat him badly necessarily? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's how, how do you do that? Yeah. You know? Well, it's a discussion we've had a lot with with my son. Um we I mean, we joke about religion a lot at home and we we actually swear a lot at home as well in front of him because I'm I'm a believer. It's just words and they affect you how you let them. And um, and I I've raised Joey to understand that some people, and I think the language, specifically with swearing, the language that I've used is I have no idea why, but some people get really uptight about these specific words. And I'm like, if you want to avoid like trouble in your life just don't say them around other people just say them around <laughs> us and so far he's done really really well he's gotten in trouble twice for saying bad words at school and in my opinion they weren't bad words one of them was testicles and the other one was cocaine um i don't know why oh, he was talking about cocaine he was he I, 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 have,
1: I, I know a lot of people would think those are both of those are great words yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I should probably, yeah. Anyway, but uh, I don't I see
2: anything wrong with testicles in particular. That's
1: the real word
2: for <laughs> actual genital. But anyways, well,
1: um, I mean, they, yeah, go ahead.
2: But we've always just explained to him that that some people get upset about things that we don't get upset about, and he's a very like very empathetic to begin mm-hmm. with. So he doesn't want to, and he's also quite shy. Like I was a really shy kid, and I'm so pretty quiet even though on the internet i don't seem like i am but um he takes after me and he doesn't say a whole lot around people that he's not super comfortable with um but he doesn't like he understands when i say if you say something about this people are going to be hurt and i explain it to them like i explain it to to joey like um you know, they, they see this God or, or Jesus as, like, you might feel about your sister, you know? Right. And if somebody said something really bad about your sister, your, your feelings are going to be hurt. You're going to be upset about that. And, and I said, so just, you know, be careful of the things that you say around people who might believe these things. The thing is, though, is that he doesn't encounter religious people.
1: A whole lot but does he ask ask you ever that okay well like you know mom you're telling me this but then you know I, I go and I see your blog and I see some of the stuff that you post and you know yeah are not you hurting people when you when you say those things? Has he ever um have you ever had, had that discussion?
2: Um he's never asked that before but I have explained to him before that when I'm joke like when I post the like that to my facebook page these are jokes about the idea and yes yeah that i separate the idea from the person and i would never ever ever i one of my biggest pet peeves on atheist twitter is when people call religious people idiots or or imply that they're stupid because they're religious it just drives me crazy i hate that and i tell i tell joey all the time you know just because somebody's religious, it doesn't mean they're stupid or bad. It doesn't mean that we need to make fun of them. All it means is that they have different things about the world than we do. Mm-hmm. But that's it. And that's all it is. And I've been saying this to him since he was really little. So I know it's like really in there. Yeah. Uh, and it's never, never been a problem. He's always been very accepting of everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, what is the biggest, um... I mean, it, it seems like I mean, it, all of this seems great, and I think it's very encouraging to a lot of people who are hearing it. But what are some of the biggest challenges you faced? Um Where you know he—he he, well, you, you mentioned he got in trouble for uh, saying bad, well, quote unquote, bad words like testicles and cocaine. Yeah. That well, you know, the thing is, like my my daughter. If I like when she was even younger, and I used to try to get her to say things. I'm like, can you say this? This. She wouldn't say a thing. And then when I'm driving one day and I'm like, oh, motherfucker. And she'll immediately, I hear this voice in the back, like, oh, motherfucker. Like, and then uh, I'm like, there you go. Now she's going to go and she she's going to say this in school and, you know, something's going to yeah. happen. So they always pick up the stuff. The stuff you don't want them to say, they'll say that I think is inevitable. Yeah. But um uh, ha- have there been any, any challenges? Uh, not necessarily. I-, I think just in general um where you know it was where you struggled with something or you didn't see eye to eye on something with, with your son and um you know how how do you go about doing that? This is like a very general parenting question. It's a little weird asking it but still.
2: Well I it's with my stepdaughter we've had some differences in opinions.
1: Yeah. Um and, and has- by the uh, by the way I just want to say any of this, I know that this is, this is some of these questions because we're talking about parenting it can get personal. So please feel free to this, this is something uh, you don't want to say, just, you know, just don't say. Yeah. But,
2: okay. Yeah. No, my stepdaughter is an open book. She she doesn't mind me talking about. I've written about her before on the blog too. We actually raised mm-hmm. money for a youth group that she belonged to, but. um yeah, we've had differences of opinions with her because she's convinced that some of her um, her lack of desire to get things done is 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 genetic <laughs> and unchangeable. And um, so I know that that's not true because I used to be lazy too, and I, I mean I still can be a
1: lot. So um oh, i i have a i have a friend who's my age i'm i'm 44 and he's uh pretty much my age and he's convinced that his entire lack of desire, even today uh, to, to do anything he thinks that it's genetic as well yeah well, yeah
2: yeah she's you know. convinced that it's like she does have um some mental health struggles and um you know i i know from my own experiences and the experiences that of people that i've been close with and also like i one of my friends is a doctor and like we we read science as atheists we tend to do that um yeah. and uh so i know that you can work with like she suffers from anxiety and sometimes depression but i know that you can work with it i know that it's it's not something you can just get over but people learn how to live their lives alongside this this thing that they have to it's tougher for them and 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 I feel bad for her she you know she had a rough start to life until she came oh. to live with us but um she it's the the fact that she doesn't want to do her homework has nothing to do with it you know, like. <laughs> It's nobody wants to do their homework.
1: I don't know Yeah, any. that's, I was going to say, that's, uh <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. you would have a whole different set of worries if you had a 17 year old who just wanted to come home and just do their homework all the time, you know? Yeah. You'd be like, okay, what's wrong with this kid? But yeah.
2: I, I get that, you know, struggling with anxiety and struggling with depression can make it more difficult to get motivated and to get moving, but it's possible to do it. And that's. Mm-hmm what we have argued about a lot is just whether or not it's actually possible because in her mind it's not. And it's just, there's no point in even trying because it's not, she's not like physically capable of doing.
1: It. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Just,
2: <laughs> of course
1: she is. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I think that that's a, um, that's a phenomenon. I mean, just aside from uh, children, I'm seeing with a lot of uh, adults as well, who, who go to you know therapy for, they're struggling with depression, they're struggling with anxiety. And a lot of us have, uh, but uh, they'll often—I um, mean, this sounds really bad saying it—but like sometimes they will use that as a crutch uh, yes. for things that they weren't able to do. And the the problem with that is—and and this is actually something that therapists try to avoid—they they try to still empower you, you know, because the, the the whole idea is learning how to cope. You know, it's it's not yeah. giving yourself a label and and um, using that as a crutch. So I—I I, but I think that's something. You just kind of learn uh, as you grow older, especially if you have the right kind of parenting and the right kind of influences around you. Uh, Do you ever worry that, you know, uh, I worry about this with my kids sometimes because people say, she's such a good kid. She listens. You know, she'll follow directions. And then that sometimes scares me. And I think, Mm -hmm. well, I want her to rebel against me sometimes. I want her to argue with me and win. You know, yeah. uh, I, I don't want her to lose every argument, even sometimes, you know, if it's not necessarily rational. I want her to be able to say, no, I want to do this and then and then go ahead and do it and, and defeat me from time to time and mm-hmm. rebel because, I, you know, you, you don't want a total conformist all the time. Mm-hmm. Do, do you ever uh, find yourself uh, concerned about it? Are you conscious about it when you're.
2: I, I have been children? concerned about that before, but both my kids are pretty um
1: okay with arguing
2: with me um yeah. so i'm not super worried about that my son is very headstrong just like i am uh-huh. <laughs> so we, we butt heads a bit yeah about little little things but it's i'm happy about that and that's actually one of the things that we were really happy about was when when my stepdaughter would argue with us about these things because she was coming from a place of extreme like we're talking absolutely crippling anxiety when we first had her here right where she wouldn't get out of bed like she would not get out of bed and um and when we got her to the point where she's arguing with us that was like a win <laughs> like we were yeah. excited we're like oh my gosh she's like standing up to us that's this such a good
1: yeah that's such a good point Yeah, You're right a lot of times um it it is it is healthy i mean if you someone is just kind of following everything you're saying and just being a conformist, you know, you, you start worrying about them. You're like, well, you know, what is this? Why aren't they asserting themselves more? And when they do, it's, it's usually a sign of good, probably, you know, good mental health in that yeah, context, it's, at least.
2: Yeah. It's, it means that they trust themselves. They don't need to follow. And <laughs> yeah, they're less susceptible to, to fall for other people's stuff. I think. Um Yeah. But, yeah, I definitely think that that that's important when they they fight you, and see i I set an example for them because I do this, and i've so many times I've said, you know people I know like in this little town, nobody's very religious, and everybody's very polite, but i know yeah. I know that prior to me kind of coming out as godless mom um Everybody was a little bit different with me. And now I get the avoidance. And so I know that some people don't like me because of my blog. I know that people don't agree with what I do. I've seen like some of my friends from back in the day unfriend me on Facebook without saying anything. Um, And I know why. I know why they're doing that. And I've talked to because it'll be people in town and... I know that they have a like I know that they have a problem with me
0: <laughs> yeah
2: and uh and I've had those conversations with Joey because it's obvious in public right like mm. they will look me in the eye and not say hi right when they used to be like oh, oh hi, wow Courtney. yeah like just stuff like that and so I yeah it's not a lot of people but it's just you know, a little handful of people, I know they have a problem with me. And, um, so I've had that conversation with, with Joey that I don't care. <laughs> I, if they want to be like that, if they want to be petty, because I have a differing opinion than religious people and I feel like talking about it, yeah. um, you know, then I don't, I don't care. I don't need those people in my head said that to him a million times I've said it to him um that I just if people don't accept you the way that you are providing you're not hurting anybody if people don't accept you then they shouldn't be in your life so I go against the grain a lot is what I'm trying to say and they see it and I think that one of the strongest ways to impart ideas to kids is by setting an example and. My, my dad's the same way he's always been this rebellious guy who's always at protests and stuff like that and um very involved in politics and I just I just took my kids to um Jagmeet Sing's rally before oh, the election yeah yeah uh-huh. that was super fun they were like you know like amazed <laughs> by the spectacle and everything so I think like it it got them connected a little bit to politics and stuff like that. So
1: yeah, I think and setting an for example for those who don't know, Jagmeet Singh is the is the leader of the New Democratic Party in in Canada. It's one of the three major uh, political parties here. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, great. I, I, you kind of I guess uh, touched on it, and I was I was this was sort of my lastish uh, question for you. Is just that with. Um, people from the muslim community just generally who are who are raising the kids they're often uh, you know what you're saying about the the people who now know about your blog and they don't say hi to you and they you know look you in the eye and they just kind of walk by um so uh, the people who leave religion especially in the muslim community it's it's looked at even worse well i mean you you're exposed to it working with aai so i guess there's a question for you both as uh, a co-exec director for AAI, and you know, as a parent and going through, you know, the the uh, and as godless mom, uh, your own experience that you're talking about the ostracization. You know, when uh, these people, when they come out as ex-Muslim, for instance, um, then they are often ostracized by their own families and their friends and you know their communities and all that. And then on top of that, they're raising kids, so often the kids also get ostracized. And they get isolated. Uh, this might be uh, putting a lot of pressure on you to answer this. but what advice uh, would you have, you know having somewhat of a similar experience here um, for people who do take those steps? Like w- w- one thing that I, uh, I was going to say that, uh, that I've noticed is that you do tend to, even though you lose a lot of people, you do tend to gain another community, especially nowadays. So yeah. I don't know if you found any of that as well, or if you have any parallels or advice to give for those people.
2: Yeah. I've, I've actually written about this a lot. Cause this is a question I get asked a lot too, is, mm-hmm. you know, how do you deal with overbearing family who are religious and stuff like that? And the number one thing that I always tell everybody is being very, very clear about boundaries, just make it clear and tell them what the consequences will be if they cross those boundaries and then follow through with those boundaries. And it's that simple. And then you've got to remember, well, I mean, it's not simple, it's family. And if you have to, you know, if you have to stop being around family, of course, that's not an easy thing to do, but you have to remember that it's, there's no reason to keep, especially as atheists. Now, if we don't believe in eternity, we only have this one life keeping toxic people in your life is just not worth it and if you like you give them a chance by setting the boundary and saying look this is what I'm comfortable with this is what I'm not comfortable with if you cross this line you can't be around my kids anymore or something like that right and and if they Mm. cross it you you've got to follow through because you got to put your kids first you got to put yourself first you can't control other people you you just can't and you have to look out for yourself. You have to live this life because you don't get another one. And yeah. that's, that's, I think, personally, I think that's the only, the only answer to that. I don't think you should argue. I don't think you should try to convince them or anything like that. I think if they are crossing boundaries that make you uncomfortable and you've made it clear, then mm-hmm. you gotta, you got to ditch them. You got to get rid of them, and you got to find yourself another family. You know, it's cheesy, but family's not always blood.
1: Yeah,
2: you can have lots of like-minded people out there who are going to support you, and um, of course, it's it's very easy for me to say this because of the way I grew up. So, um, but this is this is how it looks like from the outside to me. Yeah. This is what I think.
1: Well, it's an important perspective. We've heard. And and that's why I'm asking you about this, because we have heard a lot of stories about this from the inside, from people who are in that situation. But um, I I think it's so important to have a view uh, from somebody on the outside who's looking in, and especially someone who has been raised in a different way, Uh, because Mm -hmm. that can be an aspirational example Mm -hmm. for people who are in much tougher situations. Uh, So... I, there, You always have the, you know, well, you know, you're privileged, you know, you grew up secular, you're white, you're this, you're that. Uh, but um, I think that uh, there, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think that a lot of those insights are completely invaluable. And there's way too much of that privileged stuff going on. I mean, everybody, there's too much of an oppression Olympics thing in the discourse yeah. nowadays. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, yeah, th- thank you for... Uh, for joining us. I mean, this was excellent. I, I really, yeah, really no enjoyed problem. this. And yeah, me uh, too. You, And you said uh, you had a book, right?
2: Yeah, actually, wanna... my book is about the, like, it's about basically each chapter is a myth that people like to, to put out there about atheists, and then I use a story from my life growing up secular as a way to debunk that myth. And um, because I personally think one of the greatest things that that religious leaders do is storytelling. They're so great at standing up in front of a crowd and invoking emotion and just getting you feeling something, right? And
1: yes, we have talked about that so much here. We've talked about it all the time. And I remember in the beginning, Armin and I used to argue about this because we used to talk about facts and stories. And I yeah. told him, and we used to talk about, you know, Yuval Noah Harari, how he talked about how fictions of, you know, great. I, I don't think that it's just fictions or nonfiction. I think it's a matter of storytelling versus not. You know, you can have a yeah. PDF of bullet points and they can all be factual and everything, and they might appeal to people like you or me. Mm-hmm. But most people need something they can relate to, something they can feel. And yeah. you, you don't, and that doesn't always have to be bullshit. You know, like with yeah. religion, it is it has been bullshit. Yeah. But you can do that. Like you mentioned Cosmos, Neil deGrasse mm-hmm. Tyson, Carl Sagan. They they were master storytellers with
2: yeah.
1: you know real ideas and, and truth. Yeah. Uh, Richard Dawkins is another great example of a fantastic writer uh who yeah. has just created these, you know, wonderful stories that just leave you wide-eyed and uh oh, you know, just inspired. Um yeah. and he's done that with truth. But you're absolutely. I, I'm speaking about this a lot because it's something I feel very strongly about. But yeah. I really think you're right. Or the one thing that's missing in this whole rational, sort of left-brained, you know, super logical type thing is is uh, a good story. I, I, yeah. I think that storytelling is the thing that we really need to work on. That probably includes fiction. and includes, um, yeah, you know, like the Da Vinci Code. What a great way to expose people. To it. Imagine if that alternative history of Christianity, uh, you know, that alternative idea was presented in a textbook or in a yeah. nonfiction format, it would sell like seven or 8000 copies. Yeah. But when you put a story to it, add a little fiction to it, suddenly, it's you spent. know, everybody knows about it now. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I think that makes a big difference. Anyway, my, my rant's over, but you just touched on it right at the end. So I had to get that yeah
2: that's that's what it's about it's just stories from my life because I love writing about I've had a weird strange crazy life and I've done a lot of very just out there things and like mostly because my parents took us around the world a few times and um so I just wanted to like one of the things that people say is that atheists they can't experience awe and like, I can't even begin to explain how much awe I've experienced <laughs> in my life traveling to places like Koh Phi Phi, this beautiful island in, in Thailand or Tahiti or Fiji, you know, like, like, how do you not experience awe in a place like yeah. that? And so it's, that's basically what it's about is just using storytelling, using emotional storytelling to connect with the reader and, and try to get them to see that an atheist isn't really all oh, that scary, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, we're
1: actually kind of okay sometimes. Yeah, I think uh, that, you know, g- going by example, if, you know, people see, oh, okay, you don't have horns, you're not eating babies, you're actually a good person. Yeah. And, then, yeah. I, and that happens a lot. Um, you know, with, with my family, a lot of people, was, I grew up a lot of times thinking that if I started talking about, my, my own mom, she used to tell me, like, if you start saying these things to your uncles and aunts and everything, everybody's going to stop talking to you but the opposite happened when i started talking about it um it became you know because what would happen is they they'd read this stuff they'd call me up and say you know i don't like what you wrote on facebook then I'd have a conversation with them they'd come over for dinner or whatever we'd meet up and they'd see oh wow he wrote he's the same guy who wrote the stuff on facebook but he's the same guy he's still yeah. you know he's nice he's good he's playing with my kids he's doing you know the stuff and um it it had the effect of actually normalizing the idea that yeah. that you can be an atheist in a Muslim family, and mm-hmm. you know still be good. And I think uh, yeah. that's a very that's a very important thing. What, what is the name of your book, and where can people get it?
2: Um, the name is still up in the air, and it's ah, not done.
1: Yet. So you're still writing, yeah,
2: yeah. And I, okay, I, still I totally set- want to read it now. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. Well, I'm still sending it out to um, some literary agents and hoping to hear back, and and maybe some publishers and stuff. But if, if I don't get a bite, I'll just publish it myself and put it out there.
1: Well, you know, I'm going to do Armin a favor because if he's, I mean, he's gonna, probably going to be listening to this, and and he'll be squirming. He's like, Ali, did you mention this or not? And Armin is a big proponent of self-publishing. Atheist Republic is uh, has its own uh, independent publishing platform. They publish a lot of things, and uh, he mm-hmm. sold I don't know how many like tens of thousands of copies of his own book as well. So mm-hmm. uh, he is going to really, really encourage you to do it if you if you want to go that independent publishing route. Like definitely talk to him, especially for a book like this. I think. Um, uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. I mean, you got me going on a whole rant when I thought. Our yeah. time was locked. So <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but and, anyway, thank you for this. And I, I told you I was going to, I'm going to have you back on because I know Armin wants to talk about atheist Alliance international and mm-hmm. uh, you know, what your vision is for the coming year. I, I got the C- newsletter. Denver, I the same time. Yeah.
2: Yeah I, I, so
1: yeah. I think, I think we'll do that. We'll reach out and you, you had some other guest suggestions too, and I'm going to, um, reach out to them as well. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping to do that and hoping to see a lot more of you, you know, yeah. the, the coming year. So cool. Well, yeah. thank you
2: very much for having me on.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, and last thing, where can people find you? Can you just say your, because we're going to put it in the description, but can you just say it for the people listening on audio? Uh, what's your Instagram handle, Twitter?
2: Uh, Instagram and Twitter are the same it's at godless underscore mom, M O
1: M. Yes. And,
2: uh, and Facebook is facebook.com slash godlessmom all one word there.
1: Okay, perfect. Alright, everybody. Uh, you heard it all here. You know where to find Courtney. Um, check it out. Check out Atheist Alliance International and look out for her book. that's coming soon. Courtney, thank you so much. Thank for you. Coming on here. Appreciate it.
0: The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.